All right. So just some review points um, from last week. We just want to make sure that uh, we are, we're all in the same space. And so we took some time in our last session, uh, which was uh, in May before the holiday, and we kind of built up into some teachings. So I just want to just do review key points that we got there. And if you want the detail of that, then you to go to the, our last teaching on this. So we said eight key thoughts on Paul's revelation on end time events. And we spent some time in first uh, and second Thessalonians. We also spent some time in first Corinthians chapter 15. All right. And it says, number one, there is an event um, where the church are living in the dead. I, I meant to, I meant to correct that to add on to that. Um, the church of living in the dead will be caught up to be with the Lord. I will fix that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Number two, during this event, Christ descends with a shout and a voice. Three, the dead in Christ arise first and receive glorified bodies Four, the living church is also glorified instantaneously or the term that you'll hear in scripture around homegoing celebrations is in the twinkling of an eye. Number five, while some put this all on the last day, Paul states that the restraining force, which I see as a church, will be taken out of the way during this time. In church circles, this catching away is called rapture. Pastor David, there is no term for rapture in the Bible. There is not a term for Trinity in the Bible, but you still use it. It's a concept that's in scripture that we have put a term on. Um, and, um, and so we use that term that way. Number six, after the church is removed and in heaven, then the Antichrist can be revealed. So if that's the case, then I don't look at computer chips and wars and earthquakes. To, and I'm not trying to find the Antichrist in some computer somewhere around the world. I don't do that. It's not that those things aren't there. It's just that until God flips a certain switch, even if Satan wants to do it, he can't do what he wants to do until certain things get out of the way. They tried to kill Jesus, but he's like, y'all can't kill me before time. It wasn't that the devil wasn't trying to kill him. They were trying to stone him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They were doing a bunch of stuff. The storm that came up when they was on the sea tried to kill him when he was sleeping the ship. The devil had tried to kill him. He just had enough power to overcome. All right. Then he said, now it's the time you try. I was daily in the temple, but now it's your hour and the power of darkness until until the flip, until the the. The, the switch flipped, it couldn't happen, even though Satan was trying, right? He had tried since he was a babe, since he was two years old, when Herod came to kill him. So it wasn't that he wasn't trying, the devil wasn't trying to take him out, he just couldn't. Similarly, it's not that these things aren't happening in the world, because some people, you know, and I've heard people in times teachers says, well, so and so. And then they, you know, they watch the news. This is happening here. And God standing Christ. Ah! Stop that. Just stop in Jesus name. Because if that were the case, like that's just like saying 
Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If he could kill you at any time, you'd already be dead. Because he don't hate you no less tomorrow than he do today. All right? And so God has certain protections that's available to us. All right, that was number six. Number... Uh, well, um, let me just make one more statement before I go on to number seven. When Jesus talked about, they asked him, what about the end times? He said... Um, a couple things he said. One thing he said is, look at Israel. Okay, there's some, some specific parts of his unfolding that have to do with the national people Israel. I don't know if that really matters. Well, G they asked Jesus, um, he, said, he said Gentiles, non-Jewish people, would rule and reign in Jerusalem until the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. Israel hadn't been a nation until 1948 and then didn't have control of Jerusalem until 1967. Jesus called that shot 2,000 years ago, roughly. All right? So you can't say it didn't mean nothing. Jews understood not even having the New Testament that one day God was going to give them land back in their promised land. They knew it because he had prophesied in the Old Testament that he would. So he said there's certain things there. But when he came to the church, he says the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations of the world. And then the end will come. So then there's a piece of his return that has to do with the church doing its work. Just like. The flood was restrained until Noah finished building the ark. Does that make sense? All right. It wasn't that there wasn't enough sin in the world for God to destroy it, but God still had to wait until the ark got built. But watch this. The ark got built. They went in it. They went up, up, up. God was judging, 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 wrath, destruction, and then they came down, down, down. That's a clear picture, isn't it? All right. Number seven, until the physical Antichrist is revealed, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. There's all kinds of Antichrist stuff that's happening today. My goodness. All the kind of things that happen trying to in our government that's trying to, you know, um, all the kind of false lifestyles, false religions, false government. You know, false business, all of that stuff is happening. The spirit of Antichrist, and by definition, anything that restrains the anointing, because Christ is the anointed one and the anointing, anything that restrains the anointing is, by definition, Antichrist. So that spirit has been in the earth a long time. Right? The spirit of Antichrist came into the earth in the garden. Hath not God said the spirit that inhabited the snake was by definition anti-Christ, wasn't it? Okay, so the spirit of Antichrist is not a new thing. So you don't have to go looking for the boogeyman. You know, the spirit of Antichrist is there, but that doesn't mean. Um, some people say because the spirit of Antichrist is already here, then a literal Antichrist is not coming. Well, all right. Well, I mean, unless you got the chance to write the scripture, 
and rewrite what, what God said through Paul and Daniel, I'm either going to go with them or with you. As both of them tell me that there will be a physical person that is the man of sin, which is what we dealt with in our last session. All right. Get the last session if you weren't here. All right. Uh, so number seven, and until the physical Antichrist is revealed, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. After some period of time, which is called the tribulation, Jesus comes back to deal with the Antichrist. And then I asked the question, does he come alone and with or with others? And the answer we show last week is that he comes with others. All right. Then um, we gave you uh, another list. We said three. Um, some people say rapture is not a biblical concept. That God's people will be caught away and then other folks would be judged. I just told you Noah was a type of uh, catching away while something else was happening. Let me give you a different one. Lot got getting out of the city and the angel told Lot, I can't bring the fire down on the city until you get out. There's all kinds of examples. Right. See, because the way we teach it is, is that God puts patterns in the word of God. We can see things happening in a in a pattern over and over again. And then we gave you this list. We said that there were three raptures which have already occurred. Right. Number one was Enoch. And people who who really wouldn't take the term Enoch would say, well, Enoch was translated. Well, hold it. When he was caught up, the earth kept going. Everything wasn't over and he was still caught up, wasn't he? All right. Then the second one we told you was Elijah. Right. And Elijah told <laughs> Elijah called his shot. Tell me, Elisha, what you want to be done before I am taken away from you today. <laughs> Bruh. You, you talk about he like this. I'm checking out today. All right. So clearly he knew when he was going and he knew the way he was going, even though it wasn't broadly done. And then finally, finally, even if you didn't believe the first two, surely, surely, surely. The fact that Jesus was standing around with his disciples and then was caught up from Mount Olive. And that two angels stood there and said, this same Jesus, which you saw taken away from you, will come back again in like manner. Surely, surely, that's hard to deny, all right? Okay, so we we spent some time with that. Then if, if that be the case, then I would argue that people who argue against it by saying it can't be this clearly um, have to at least entertain what I'm saying, given the fact that the, these things were already established, right? Okay, now let's look at we last last time um, last session we had, which is two weeks ago, 
We went through Revelation chapter four. I'm going to go through the seven keys of Revelation chapter four. Then we'll read Revelation chapter five and we'll deal with it today. All right. So our seven keys, just for a reminder of where we were last week, seven keys to Revelation four. Number one, the one who is Jesus with the key of David opens the door to heaven to John. And in a prophetic view of the church is uh, being caught away. All right. Uh, he immediately sees God, the father seated on his throne. God's speaking is represented by lightning, thunder and voices from the throne. Because of God's representative government, he sees 24 elders representing Old Testament believers and those of us in the church age around the throne. We know that they are they are earthly believers because they have seats and angels never sit in the presence of God. They are always serving. When Gabriel came to Zechariah, Gabriel said, my name is Gabriel, Zach. I stand in the presence of God. Angels don't sit, right? The waiter don't sit at the table with you, okay? But we are seated with him in heavenly places, all right? He also sees um, number four, the sevenfold manifestations of the Spirit of God, again, that's the Holy Spirit. Don't want to undo that again, but we've done that enough time. It's in, it's in the previous volume. The equivalent symbolism to the seven churches signifies that the church is meant to be spirit-filled. The church has these seven candlesticks, and in heaven they see seven candlesticks, then the church is supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number five, the crystal sea. Um, later referred to as being mixed with fire, is the glorious church, the sea of humanity that has been purified through the blood of Jesus. And then number six, the four angelic creatures who guard the throne, that's, that's the role of cherubim, who lead worship and then assist John with messages because angels are sent forth to minister for those who are the heirs of salvation, you have angels assigned to you. Thank you, Jesus. It's one of the reasons why the devil can't take you out when he wants to. But you can either assist those that assist you by how you speak the word and live your life, or you can make it hard on them. Sometimes I tell people at work, help me help you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what your angels are saying. Help me help you. Speak the word, live the word, believe the word, and you're helping me help your cause. All right. And then finally, number seven, we see in Revelation chapter four, and we will see today worship from angels and saints in unity before the throne in heaven, you know, um, the Apostle Paul challenged us in the book of Colossians to not get into worshiping angels. You know, you got, we got Hollywood touched by an angel and all these other shows. And sometimes people get into worshiping angels. But we're going to see in the, in the book of Revelation, the, John 
was about to worship an angel. And the angel said, hold up, bro. Hold up, hold up, hold up. He said, one of us tried to do that one time and it didn't work well for him. He got cast out. You don't worship me. We are fellow servants worshiping God. All right. And so we are all what you'll see in eternity is that saints and angels worship God. All right. And we're going to see this even in this next chapter. So let's look at Revelation chapter five. It's 14 verses to that. And we'll read those right now. And it says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I beheld, then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. Worship, just before I get into my list, 
notice that worship is a ministry on earth that we can translate just like it is in the heaven. Um, sometimes people challenge uh, your pastor when I talk about the tabernacle of David and worship and all of those things. And man, you're going back to the Old Testament. No, see, this is this is the stuff you're going to do in heaven. So, you know, you need to get into the flow of worship right now. In fact, there are folks that'll say, oh, man, you know, because he said we're supposed to worship with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. We shouldn't have any instruments. But there was harps, 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 musical instruments and songs, songs, songs in heaven. Why did he call them harps? Because with John, that's the only instrument he knew. You can't tell me, you know, that I got a better keyboard now than they got in heaven. Sorry, I don't believe that. OK, he only understood harps. They only had harps and drums and trumpets. Don't worry, they got better keyboards than you got in Jesus name. All right. That's a Pastor David revelation. You don't believe that. Then no. OK. All right. Eight keys. I got eight keys a day to Revelation five. All right. Number one, Revelation five opens with a picture of God, the father having a scroll in hand with seven seals. We shall come to understand that this scroll represents a dispensation of judgments for the earth. The scroll represents a dispensation of judgments for the earth, which means that the judgments can't come till the scroll is open. If there's seals, until it's unsealed, it can't happen yet. Got it? Okay. So, until the father who has it gives it to the son and the son, which we'll see in, in chapter six, begins to open it. Certain things can't happen. I don't care how much bad stuff is happening any more than the flood could happen until Noah built the ark. Got it. Right. Dispensations. Right. I, we, we have taught it this way. At specific times, periods of time, God dealt with mankind in different ways called dispensations. We're going to go in some of our future sessions. Maybe we'll do it next week. I haven't really decided how I'm going to go get into chapter six, but there's so much content that I got to do that has to do with this thing called dispensations. Jesus gave certain parables and he said, you know, the kingdom was like. Um, these 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish, five, they all had um, the oil was spent, but the five wise had some extra reserves. Then the bridegroom came and the five foolish let their oil go down. Remember, we said the church should be spirit filled. Let their oil go down. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And then it says that while the five foolish was out trying to buy oil, the five wise went in and the door was shut. 
Didn't say that they was out there, wasn't something happening. It just said that they was on the outside and the door was shut. Something happened and a dispensation that was open closed. See, we have to deal with the fact that there are times when things change. The children of Israel had a dispensation on one side of the Jordan where every day all they had to do was get up, walk outside, and there was manna waiting for them. And on Saturday, they got enough manna for two days. Every other day, if you took too much, by the time you tried to put it away in the refrigerator, it would turn to worms. When they were in that part before the before they crossed the Jordan, they wore the same clothes and their clothes didn't wear out. Because they were 20 years and younger when they started out and they had they were now below 60 because they had spent 40 years. Right. Just doing the math. Their shoes grew with their feet. And as soon as they crossed over, all of that stuff stopped. Achan used to steal before he crossed over into Jericho. That wasn't the first time. He just didn't understand that, you know, he could get away with that with Moses. The dispensations changed. And Joshua said, I'm stealing you today. These five foolish virgins had been had been slack before. They just didn't realize that the dough shed on them. They thought they had all the time in the world to get it together. They didn't understand that there is this thing called dispensations and that at the change of a dispensation, the rules will change on you and it'll flip the script really fast. All right. Um, Israel was at the edge of a dispensation. Jesus is on a cross. Now, all the time it's the Passover. So the priest is getting ready to enter the Holy of Holies while Jesus is outside on the cross. And while he's getting ready to go beyond the veil, the veil starts at the top and rips all the way down to the bottom. Now what you going to do? We ain't having no more Passover service today. It changed. It was a change of a dispensation. All right. Here's here's a scripture that I'm going to give you on that one. Um, Daniel chapter two, verse 20 through 22. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the season. He is the one who has the key to change spiritual seasons and times and dispensations. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Now, when Daniel read that, when Daniel wrote that, right after he wrote that, God began to show Daniel all the way down from where he was. He showed him in advance, at least 150 years in advance, the reign of Alexander the Great and the reign of the Romans all the way down to Messiah coming. And on, on in that same book, Daniel saw not only the Christ, 
he actually saw the Antichrist. God began to show him things because he understood God works in times and seasons. All right. So I know there's all kinds of stuff happening out there. But what we've said is John, when he's in chapter four, John heard a voice. He saw he saw a door in heaven open. That's what chapter four says. And he heard a voice saying, come up here. That was a type of the church being caught up and being around the throne. And notice that um, the church is around the throne. The scroll hasn't been opened. But later on, when all of the judgments come, we're going to be if we do what we if we do what we're supposed to be do and be like the five wise virgins and not the five foolish ones, we should be around the throne watching some bad stuff happened to some people who weren't listening. Right. That's what that's what that really tells us. All right. Now, let's go on to number three. A search was made throughout creation for someone worthy to open the scrolls and to loose the seals. All right. Jesus is revealed slash unveiled. Remember, we said that it's not just the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So every time I see Jesus, I want to see how he's pictured. I want to see every different insight and nuance to who Jesus is. All right. And so in chapter five, we see Jesus revealed or unveiled as read this the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david the lamb that had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the sevenfold manifestation of the spirit of god we talked about isaiah 11 1 through 3 he is the one that is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals okay Jesus is the one who God has delegated and designated to change times and seasons. In Hebrews, it says he'll fold up the heaven and the earth like you fold up some clothes to put them away after you wash. God gives him that much power. That's who he is. Look at John chapter five. We're going to read verse 21 through 27. Just so we can see the consistency of scripture. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word but, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, 
So he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him the son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. All right. So we understand that Jesus, the son, God, the son has the authority to open and execute judgment because the father gave it to him. He was the one that was worthy. That's why he got the scroll. All right. Now, number five. Jesus taking the scroll from the father triggers worship in heaven to both the father and the son. And you'll see that um, they were both listed there as objects of worship. This worship is mixed with music, songs, and prayers of believers. Right? We saw that they had harps, that they sung a new song, that there was incense. In the Old Testament, incense was smoke. I know there are, you know, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> certain 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 churches, you know, they'll still wave incense like they did in the Old Testament temple. I'm not mad at you. I'm not even mad if you got a smoke machine. I ain't mad at you. But for New Testament, the real the real incense is our prayer. You need a church full of prayer if you never get a smoke machine. Huh? We need it. Jesus said, he didn't say my house is a house of smoke machines. And I'm not, listen, Pastor David is not player hating no smoke machine. You get you a light show, smoke machine, you do, you do what the Lord told you to do. But listen, if you got a smoke machine and ain't nobody praying, you don't have the real New Testament incense. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Look at number six. We learn a critical point about our prayers. They are ministry on earth that affect heaven. Our prayers are things that we do on earth that affects heaven. Don't stop praying even for things that it doesn't seem possible to happen on the earth. Do not stop praying. One of the things we taught this in our series on prayer, certainly we've taught it um, in detailed in some of our men of destiny um, meeting sessions. Prayer is your partnership with God in the earth. There are certain things that happen on earth because we pray. Prayer is not giving God information, it's giving him invitation into situations and circumstances. Some things have to be prayed through. Some things won't get done with, a, okay, God, just bless me and my kids and no more and keep it moving. Sometimes you're going to have to travail in prayer. This scripture tells us that our travailing in prayer 
will fill golden bowls in heaven with the incense. And you might just not have enough incense on your issue for God to pour out the answer yet. Intercession and prayer was a part of the first coming of Jesus. Anna was in the temple with fasting and prayers. Simeon was there praying and the Lord, just like the Lord told Enoch that Methuselah wouldn't 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 die until the flood came. The same God called his shot with Simeon and said, you're not going to die until you see the Christ come. And they was praying for his coming. He spoke to all of those that was praying and interceding for Messiah to come. Just like there's prayers around the first coming, there's also prayers around the second coming. The spirit and the bride say, come, even so come, Lord Jesus. So when we read these things, we're supposed to be filling heaven up with our prayers. How much prayer does it take to get your situation moved? That's like how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie roll, tootsie pop? If it haven't moved yet, you got to keep on licking. Okay? So you have to be willing to pray through believing that your prayers are moving God. The challenge we have is, is that our physical body is, is the license. It's, our earth suit, because God said, I'm going to make man, I'm going to place him in a physical body and give man dominion in the earth. Our physical bodies is, is actually the thing that licenses us to pray and affect things that happen on the earth. The problem we have is, is that the physical body that licenses us to pray will fight us when we pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your body want to go to sleep on you when it. Right. And so you have to push past it and make it mind you to pray so that you can fill up your bowl. So something happens on the earth. Amen. Let's look at some scriptures about prayer. In James chapter five, we're going to read verses 13 through 18, a very common passage of scripture. But I want to I want you to see a certain thing about it. Today. And it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? All right, stop for a second before I go further. Notice that suffering and sickness are separated. Suffering is any suffering, let him pray. Is any sick, let him call for the elders. That word there for suffering deals with mental stresses, not physical ones. It's describing mental, mental illness, mental unrest, mental instability. So when your mind is racing and you can't seem to calm it down, <laughs> you're not supposed to cop out. You're not supposed to eat comfort food. 
do retail therapy, Netflix and chill. You're supposed to pray. All right. I believe this scripture is telling us that if we if we would really take time to pray. Now, listen, pastor, not against all kinds of a therapy. But listen, if the Bible says if you have mental afflictions and you, I, I'll, I'll take some time in in some session and really break down that word there for suffering. And it, I'm telling you, it talks about your mind is in a bad way. Maybe one of the reasons why there's so much mental illness in church is because the church ain't praying, but. Oh. And listen, your pastor has has had a psychologist and gone and gotten some counseling when he needed it. So I'm not a pastor that's against counseling. All right. When they start trying to give me medicine, I kind of pump the brakes. Just if you want to know where my stand is. I'm not even 100% against that. I'm just, let's not just medicate to cover up an issue. Let's try to get to the real root of it. Nah, that's all I'm saying. All right? But this scripture is clear that some of these things can be solved in prayer, or he wouldn't have told me to do it. All right, verse 14, if any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, so some sickness is sin related, but not all of it, because that's why there's an if. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The, effect, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you're not praying, then you're not getting the, you're not getting the availing that's available to the prayer person that prayers, prays, right? There's some availing that happens if you're available to pray. <laughs> okay? And if you pray with some fervency. I read this scripture one day and the Lord said to me, if you fall asleep on your prayer, I'm falling asleep too. And stop trying to make somebody else do the hard part of your praying. I, I, I'm not saying people shouldn't pray with you. This scripture says you might need prayer reinforcements. Have people in spiritual authority to pray over your situation. I'm not against that. But sometimes we try to make people do the hard part of our praying and we just throw up a little something. Instead of digging it out with our own prayer power. All right. Now look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly. That's an effectual fervent prayer that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for how long? Three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. James said that Jesus said that same thing about Elijah. That three and a half, and Jesus said three years and six months. Three years and six months is 42 months. And if it's 30 days per month, 
1260 days. You're going to see those numbers again in the rest of the book. As we go, go on the book of Revelation. Now, Pastor, why are you emphasizing that? Because if we're not saying that Elijah was a figurative statement and those three and a half years wasn't real, then why are we saying these three and a half years aren't real? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, look at number seven. We're almost done. We are clear that the church is here in heaven, not in earth, because the once slain Jesus, they said he was a lamb that was slain, and they said he has redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's the song that they were singing. If they sing in that song, we must be there to sing it. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. I know people listen to different, but listen, all we're doing is reading what they saying. The elders were there. They were earthly representatives and we are there with them. Out of every tongue, people, tribe and nation. This is not the national Israel thing. This is the church folks. This is you and me. Okay. Now, finally, 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 number eight. The interesting theology in this worship is that while many church songs on earth focus on getting to heaven, this song in heaven focus on reigning on the earth. Oh, that's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. I'm going up yonder. Everybody want to go to heaven. When we all get to heaven, I'm going to walk around. I don't have nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm going to get my spiritual Fitbit and walk on them streets of gold. I'm just going to walk around heaven. How long? All day. Every day will be Sunday. All the God children got shoes. You got shoes, I got shoes. When we get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes and walk around God's heaven. Heaven. Walk around God's heaven. Listen, there was a generation who heaven was the best thing they had. Listen. If you're in the persecuted church today, you, you you probably more excited about heaven than somebody that's like you and me. The thing is, these people were already around the throne of heaven. And they weren't singing about heaven. <sighs> what would happen if the church stopped singing about I mean, you know, I mean, our hymn book would go down, man, because we, we do a lot of our singing about heaven. And their theology wasn't theology is just a word for the study of God. Like songs have theology built into them. 
That's why as much as I love my friend, my man, I don't want to sing I'm a saint that was a sinner that fell down and got up because I believe I was a sinner and I became a saint. I didn't say I didn't sin anymore since I became a saint. I didn't say that. First John says, don't say that. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. I'm just saying that I don't practice sin and I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a new creature that falls. I'm not an old creature that just practices and lives over here in sin. That's there's that's a theological statement. Now, the music is top that stuff. You know, there's a term called earworms. Psychologists describe music that'll just stick in your head and can't get out, man. Donnie started doing that thing, man. That stuff will get in your head. You can't let it go. But that don't make the theology right. You know, um, I was studying this one day and I said, I said to myself, you know, part of me, part of me as I work, because I work, you know, I, t I told you guys, like, I love the whining song. If I labor, God's going to give me a crown. So I believe I'll work, work. I wish I could sing and do it in harmony like the whiners do. I do what I can, you know, but sun is going down. Man, that that motivates me. You understand what I'm saying? To do what I got to do now, shoot my shot so I can get my reward. OK. Um, then I think about the song, my my good friend. Elder Jeffrey LaValle wrote, I can't, I can't feel, feel at home in this world. I said, one day I want that in my funeral. And then I start to read this and then I start to say, well, man, that's a whole different theology. Then I, then I listened to Micah Stampley, heaven, heaven on earth. Oh, oh. and I said, hey, that's, yeah, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about raining on the earth. OK, what I'm trying to give you a different picture of is. The kingdom's mindset is um, I like the way that I like the way that um, the late Dr. Miles Monroe taught it. He taught us that the 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 revelation of the kingdom is. Is that it, it? It has come and is coming. It's both. Some people some people teach the kingdom is coming. Some people teach the kingdom has already come. Right. The revelation is it's actually it has come and is coming. Jesus said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has arrived." Is at hand. That's what that meant. The kingdom has arrived. When the king comes, the kingdom comes. Because the king is a one person representative of his kingdom. But the scripture says he's the king of kings and has made us kings and priests. We are the royal priesthood. So the kingdom has come and he taught us kingdom parables so that we would know how to walk in the kingdom now. But the kingdom that has come doesn't prevent the kingdom that is coming.
Well, we, I don't like, I don't like it. You know, I had to talk with a good pastor friend of mine. Um, if, if you teach people about this catching away, then you, 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 you give them an out to believe that if they don't get it the first time, then, then they'll get it another time so they can wait and push the kingdom off. No, see, I told you the kingdom has come and is coming. We already established earlier in this very teaching today that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached unto the end of the world for a witness. So the kingdom has come and you and I are supposed to be expanding and advancing it in our sphere of authority. We're supposed to be influencing people to come into the kingdom. Because he said it was like yeast put in dough. It's hidden, but it makes the whole dough rise. We're supposed to influence. But that doesn't prevent this other thing that's coming. And that's what this passage of scripture says. It says he has made us redeemed us from all nations of the earth has made us kings and priests. And even though at this point we're around heaven, we still going to reign with him on the earth. The problem I have is the people who put it all in one place never deal with that. They never deal with the fact that Enoch said he's coming with 10,000 of his saints. Okay, so I want to have a theology, a perspective on God that allows me to maximize the time that I have now, but still believe for the time when he's catching me away and then coming back with him to do whatever he says does is done at that point in time. Does that make sense? All right. I am out. Of revelation today. Hallelujah.